welcome to episode two of a special podcast series on intergenerational wealth. I am Amelia Hamilton, audience development executive at CityWire and your host. In our first episode, we took a broader look at the topic and explored the five pillars of intergenerational wealth. And now in episode two, we will hone in on one specific area, that is gifting. So here to talk all things gifting with me, I have the pleasure of introducing Les Cameron, Head of Technical at M&G Wealth, and Lisa Davies, Financial Planner at Throgmorton Capital Management. So welcome to both of you. There is a lot to unwrap, pardon the pun, uh, in terms of gifting with intergenerational wealth, and there's a lot of contrasting views on the matter. So to start with, I think let's talk about inheritance tax. Specifically, it's impacts on families. So Les, I'd like to start with you and just ask, every other month there seems to be reports of record inheritance tax receipts. Why is that and, and how does it affect families? I, I think there's two kind of aspects to it. That there's potentially quite a high death rate because of COVID, so possibly seeing the receipts coming through. Um, spiking them a little bit. I think fundamentally um, we've seen at the budget the Chancellor freezing the IHT free allowances um, for the next five years. Um, that's a continuation of something that's been happening for the last decade or so. Um, so we've had 10 years of the amount you can get IHT free being frozen and over those 10 years people's assets increase in value, especially property prices. So so, so that's I think that's fueling the, the increase in IHT receipts. Um, it's affecting more and more families. About 4% of estates pay IHT. Um, the, the average bill is around £200,000. Um, so, so that's quite a lot of money um, not to go to your family uh, out of your estate. So I, th- I think basically the frozen bans, and we'll probably talk a bit later, um, lack of planning. How much do you think you've been able to to save clients that they, they didn't expect that they might be able to? Um, well, I can't put a finger on a specific amount. I have uh, recommended some make, uh, you know, uh, capital payments to the children, which can be a potentially exempt transfer, which is probably going to save them some money over time. Hopefully they'll live out the seven years. Um, I think a common one at the moment is gifts from income because younger families are perhaps struggling due to high inflation levels. So when you suggest that to um, older, you know, parents, grandparents and that kind of thing, they, they realise that they can actually help out uh, by doing that, um, you know, from their disposable income or excess income. So, um I have saved money, maybe maybe a few hundred thousand pounds, maybe more. <laughs> In terms of gifting, Lisa, when clients come to you, do they ever do so with the intention of gift giving or is it a topic that you have to more convince them of the merit of? Um, mostly it's convince them of the merit of that, yes. I mean, not many. You do get the odd one who comes along and say, can I gift this amount now and what what situation will that leave me in but mostly it's it's having to coerce them into into making gifts and getting the money out of their estate yes yeah i think from the advisor i've spoken to it's sort of as an, an advisor driven discussion uh, more than anything else and i think it research showed that as well um, if the advisor doesn't bring it up it might not come up why do you think that is i think people just don't like thinking about their own mortality mm. And then if you've got a blended family, you're all oh, that's 
there's some very difficult conversations about where my money's going to go. Uh, it's so easy for something so complicated to get, I'll do it next month, I'll do it yeah. next month, I'll do it next month, and then you die, and it's too yeah. late, and it's complicated, and you wish you had a time machine yeah. uh, to go and get organised in advance. I, I, I think it's just they don't always think about their own mortality. That's very true, what Les says, yeah. People ask, you know, they do fear talking about their own mortality. And it, it's, you know, I, I sometimes laugh and joke about it when I'm with clients and say, I'm going to talk about death again. <laughs> I feel like yeah, when you die or when you go into a care home, I'm, I'm the bringer of doom and gloom. But, um, it, you know, it has to be done. Yeah, and, and from, a, from a practical point of view, if you're organised for dying... It's a really traumatic time for yeah. the people that's left behind. So you could leave them a traumatic period yeah. and some really complicated stuff to organise. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can get organised in advance and yeah. they can deal with getting over your death without having to deal with dealing with your affairs that you could have done whilst you were alive. Well, that, that's exactly right again, Liz. And, and you see so many families fall out post-death. Yeah, because because yeah. the will wasn't written correctly or wasn't written to their, to their liking and that kind of thing. And it's really, really sad. Yeah, an, an advisor told me a couple of months ago that uh, two brothers in one family had fallen out and it was a large estate, but what they fell out over was the carriage clock mm. that their dad had got when they retired or something. So post-death, families yeah. can get strange. Yeah, it, it brings it's an irrational time, isn't it, because of all of those emotions. So you want to try and be rational ahead of time to put those precautions in place. Yeah. Absolutely. And... Are there, have you seen any life events that make people more responsive to the idea of gifting? Often illness. Illness is, you know, if, if, if and then sometimes it's too late by the time they've become ill and they realise, you know, they could be at the end or, or you know, they're not immortal. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so they, they, they bring you in then, what can we do? And, and it's just often it, it's too late then to do anything to resolve the situation. And I, I, I think the, the pandemic has yes. made people realise something could happen tomorrow yeah. and I'm at death's door. Yeah. Um, so they have to, that's kind of crystallised your own mortality sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you could be fit and healthy, then something happens. Yeah. So I, th I think that's definitely driven more people. I mean, this is a bit off, uh, think about yeah, it. A bit yeah. off subject, but I've seen such a lot of regret recently when I've gone out to see clients. They regret that they didn't, you know, the, pandemic the the um funds and investments may well have gone down um but then they recovered and a lot of them regret not enjoying their money whilst they were younger and doing more things whilst they were younger and now they've had covid and perhaps don't feel so healthy you know the last two years of lockdown has impacted them and their confidence not to go on holiday now so i've, I've seen a lot of of regret at not spending money now and i suppose the other trigger is, is the death of the first spouse uh, and the second, our grandchildren being born, these are all times you think about the family. I think it can all be triggered with, what am I going to do to help my grandchild go to uni in 18 years' time or whatever it may be, buy a deposit on their first house. They'll, they'll struggle to buy a house if I don't help them, sort of thing. Yeah. So I think these sort of life events are all key times for thinking about it. Do you ever, Lisa, come against any... Um kind of resistance from people who've been gifted money but it's been very prescriptive then perhaps they don't want to abide by what 
their parent has maybe intended them to spend it on? Is there any kind of rebellion there? And how have you dealt with any situations where, you know, clients have been gifted money from their parents and then they want to go in a very different direction with that? I've not seen it an awful lot. I do see it where um, people will turn around to the parents and say, I don't want that money. I can stand on my own two feet and don't realise actually it's in their best interest to take that that lump sum now. Otherwise, they'll pay tax on the estate further down the line. So you do perhaps see people um, not being rebellious, but just being, um, you know, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Their self-respect won't allow them to take it kind of thing. Um, pride pride that's it pride showing to the parents that they can stand on their own two feet and and that kind of thing um when they just have to get over it really and and often i have had to explain that to clients that just just take the money um you know invest it if if you don't want to if you don't want to spend it on anything just invest it and leave it to one side at least it's better to have it in your account than theirs in the long term you can have a hundred percent of it just now or wait until they die and you can get 60 percent of it it's that simple. To what extent do you think trusts are going to be an important part of protecting wealth before it's formally transferred to younger adults? Uh, uh, I, I think people need to understand them a bit more because they sound a bit complex and high net worthy and that's just something for the multi-millionaires to do. And it isn't. It's fairly mainstream. There's, there's some very standard, simply understand trust that you can use. Um, and it's getting over that. Yes, I would like my money about my estate. Yes, I would like to reduce IHT. But yes, I'm deciding when it gets spent. And the only way you can give money away and control how it gets spent is to use a trust. And and I think a lot of people, once they understand what it achieves for them, as opposed to getting caught up in all the different jargon and terminology you get about trusts with the help of a financial advisor. Uh, should be a bit more comfortable with it. It's, it's not just for the Duke of Westminster, I trust. It's for anybody, really. Yeah. It's funny because um, if you suggest that kind of thing, like you say to uh, like a tr- traditional blue-collar worker, you, you sometimes get the re- reaction of, uh, well, who'd have thought <laughs> that me, you know, that I, I could actually set up a trust? So, yeah, it does take a lot of explaining to clients at times. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the skill of the advisor turning it into something simple. Because what, once you're over a million pounds, that's you in IHT land, or somewhere between three hundred and twenty-five and a million pounds. Especially with property prices, it's it's quite easy to get that high, <laughs> uh, yeah, quite quickly. So it's the the average person pays IHT. It's not the the yeah. super rich. And so, just kind of round this episode of gifting off. Then I'd just like to ask each of you intergenerational wealth these and gifting these are huge big buzzwords if there was one piece of advice or words of wisdom that you might have when looking to um, make sure that clients are gifting in the right way or perhaps to other advisors on how to approach these issues what maybe one tip or or yeah words word of wisdom might you you give so perhaps Les, let's start with you uh, Set aside the time to think about it and get organised and you'll have to do that with somebody that understands what to do. So book an appointment with a financial advisor who can help you get your affairs in order, work out what you want to do and help you achieve it. Yeah, my tips or the most important tip to financial advisors would be to keep on asking the question, have you any other money? 
because it's surprisingly shocking how many clients have other funds that they don't tell you about. So you're not planning properly for them. So I'd say keep at it. I see with some of the younger advisors here, they, uh, they don't get enough information from the client who are perhaps a bit scared because they might be hiding away a bit of an emergency fund. You even see it with couples where one, you know, the lady might be hiding some funds <laughs> from the husband and that kind of thing. So I just think it's keep on pushing and asking the question, is there any other money? Are there any other funds, any other investments? Uh, and at the end of the day, if you've got more than one beneficiary, the revenue is going to be your biggest beneficiary because they're going to take 40% of your money and your two children will only get 30% each. So you have to ask your clients, who do you want to be the biggest beneficiary of your estate? The treasury or your children? Some people are happy with the treasury getting money, but a lot of people aren't, and that's where the financial advisor helps. Thank you.